is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. When the Benedictine Sisters of Mary, Queen of Apostles, were preparing to reinter the remains of Sister Mary Wilhelmina Lancaster, their foundress, after the completion of a shrine to St. Joseph in rural Missouri, they made an amazing discovery. When the sisters exhumed Sister Wilhelmina's remains this spring, four years after her death, the body did not at all seem decayed, and her religious habit was also still intact. The news of what many consider to be a miracle made headlines around the world. Sister Wilhelmina was a black Catholic sister who spent more than 50 years as a member of the Baltimore-based Oblate Sisters of Providence. She left her religious community to found the Benedictine Sisters of Mary, Queen of Apostles. Sister Wilhelmina's religious community wrote a book on the life of their foundress that was released a few weeks ago by Tan Books. Joining us to talk about the amazing life of Sister Wilhelmina is one of the contributors to that book, Sister Mary Josepha Holcomb. Sister Mary Josepha spoke with us via phone from the Monastery of St. Joseph in the Ozark Mountains in Missouri. Here's our interview with Sister Mary Josepha Holcomb. Sister Mary Josepha, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. Thank you for having us. I had a chance to finish the wonderful book that the sisters wrote about the life of Sister Mary Wilhelmina, and it was just a remarkable story of of courage and and perseverance. Could you tell our listeners where Sister Wilhelmina was from and what her childhood was like growing up? Yes, Sister Wilhelmina was born in a very poor family in St. Louis at a time of uh, racial strife and a lot of segregation. She was actually the descendant of slaves herself, I think it was her grandmother who was, um, or her great-grandmother, I should say, was freed by her slave owner And after she was baptized. And he said, I can't keep you in slavery anymore because it would be like keeping Christ in slavery. But um, it was that Catholic identity that gave her family their dignity, um, and they always had a great sense of their, uh, their dignity as children of God, regardless of the segregation that they experienced. What kind of Catholic traditions did she grow up with in her home? Her mother had a very vibrant faith and was a catechist and brought many of her neighbors and friends into the Catholic Church. She even brought her husband into the Catholic Church before they were married. He was her very first convert. So Sister Wilhelmina, I think, experienced a lot of um, maybe in-home apologetics. She saw her mother defending the faith to friends and family. Um, and Sister Wilhelmina herself had a very strong devotion to the Holy Rosary. She would try to get her siblings to pray it with her, or um, when they decided they wanted to go play instead, she'd go pray it by herself. And it was one of there was one little episode when her brothers were out playing and they got into the river and nearly drowned. But Sister Wilhelmina was at home and she thought, I have to pray for my brothers. And she went and prayed the Rosary, and they were saved and without any harm to themselves. Well, of course, the time in which she was growing up was was a time of great discrimination, and so it, it wasn't easy to be a black Catholic at that time. What what kind of discrimination did she face, both in society and in her church? Yes, 
the discrimination back then is something that's hard for us to imagine. Um, not only were there black churches and white churches, but if there was one church where both black and white people were allowed to attend, the white people would receive communion before the black people, um, which is unthinkable for us nowadays. Um, but again, Sister Wilhelmina's family recognized their dignity as children of God. It didn't depend on it, the injustice or the callousness of people around them. And so Sister Wilhelmina's mother told her when she was a very little girl, that it shouldn't matter to you if you have to receive our Lord very last in line because you're receiving the King of Heaven. And it's not anything that anyone deserves to, to receive our Lord that way. So she, I think, had a strong sense of her, her dignity independent of what she suffered from other people. And I think that gave her a buoyancy, a sort of resilience in the face of discrimination. She loved to tell the story of um, when she and her siblings would go to the public library, they had to walk through a white neighborhood where they weren't really allowed to be. So she said, we would run as fast as we could through that neighborhood. And one day, a little white boy was sitting on the porch, and he saw black children running past, and he shouted out, hey there, chocolate drop. And Sister Romina said, and we shouted back, hi there, marshmallow. <laughs> and we kept running. <laughs> But she she always took these things in stride. She didn't let them discourage her or make her bitter. And and she felt a call to the religious life at, at a young age. And at, at that time, I, I think there probably would have been really only one order for black women who wanted to become sisters or, or nuns, and, and that would have been the Oblate Sisters of Providence, which was founded by Mother Mary Lang right here in Baltimore in 1829. Uh, could you talk about her journey into religious life and, and, and how she came to Baltimore to become an Oblate? Yes. She heard the call to become a religious very young. It was actually at her first Holy Communion. After receiving our Lord, she went back to the pew to pray, and she heard our voice, the voice of our Lord in her heart saying, Will you be all mine? And so she said, Of course, Lord, I want to be all yours. But she didn't know yet what that meant. It was as she grew a little bit older that she realized that that spousal union with Christ could be realized in the religious life. And so at a young age, she was very attentive to religious sisters. And there were some Oblates of Providence teaching in St. Louis at that time. So at a young age, Sister Wilmina wrote a letter to the mother house in Baltimore um, saying, I'm, I'm a young girl, of course I'm Catholic, and I want to be a, a religious with your community. What do I need to bring? <laughs> uh, of course, she was too young to enter at that moment, but the Oblates Sisters of Providence preserved that beautiful letter uh, in their archives for years afterwards until they gave it to our community. She cherished that dream of religious life um, all through her childhood. And then at um, her high school graduation, she saw, again, some Oblate Sisters of Providence attending the ceremony because one of Sister Wilmia's classmates was the brother of an Oblate. And she went up to them after the ceremony and said, I want to join your order. What do I need to do? And so they gave her some advice, and she ended up leaving that year at the age of 17, right out of high school, to go to Baltimore to begin her novitiate. A lot of her early assignments were in teaching, and, and that was not easy for her. Could you talk about that, and the, the struggles she experienced after she became an oblate and was assigned these teaching roles that, that didn't, quite, didn't quite gel with her? Could you talk about that? Yes. She had a very strong appreciation for studies. I think she inherited it from her mother, and she always had a, an ideal of becoming a writer. But I think that the classroom dynamic was a challenge for her. Um, so she loved the uh, the studies aspect, but I think tr 
trying to unify the classroom and relate with the young children. I think that was sometimes difficult for her. And not surprisingly, she was teaching in um, inner city schools uh, with children who came from very impoverished and troubled backgrounds. There was one story that she used to tell us, quite remarkable. Um, she was in a classroom in Washington, D.C., and there uh, a young boy in the back, again, very troubled background, got up and threw a knife at her. And she happened to be uh, sitting down at that moment, so or sorry, standing up. So when the knife came at her, it was directed toward her face. It actually hit the wimple a little bit lower than her face. And because that was so stiffly starched, it just bounced off harmlessly. Wow. But I think that having trying to um, relate to such children and teach them, I think it was a challenge for her. She did speak fondly of a time when she was assigned to a, a girl's home, um, and she she commented on how these young girls had broken hearts from their backgrounds. And I think she experienced a, a period of spiritual motherhood there, trying to help them um, to heal and to respond to God's grace in their lives. Mm-hmm. But the, the area where she really began to thrive in her order was when they signed her as archivist, because then she was involved with the community records. She started compiling notes for a history of the Oblate Sisters of Providence, and she was able to uh, do some of that research and writing that she enjoyed so much in her youth. And she had a great love for Mother Mary Lang, the foundress of the Oblate Sisters of Providence. Yes, and, she did. And that, that seems to have carried through her entire life. Yes. She loved the Sisters of Providence history, um, the way they came from Benedictine roots, um, using the spirituality of St. Francis of Rome, who was a Benedictine oblate. And when she came to found our community, the Benedictines of Mary, um, she was uh, she was firm about keeping the Benedictine spirituality. And, of course, she admired Mother Lange's, um, her, her courage, uh, her dedication, uh, and her love for God in all of his children. During the Second Vatican Council, there were a lot of major changes, especially in the liturgy, and it, it even touched religious life and her own community of the Oblate Sisters of Providence. And, th- and that was a real struggle for her because she had a great devotion to the traditional Latin Mass and some of the, the traditional practices of religious life. Could you talk about the struggles that she experienced during that time, that it was a really turbulent time for her community and, and for, mm-hmm. for her, her personally? Yes, indeed. Yeah, the experimentation was very troubling because um, many of the bulwarks of religious life were starting to be taken down. Um, The separation from the world, um, silence in the cloister, community prayer, the common habit, all of these things were um, slowly being questioned, experimented with, and even discarded. And Sister Wilhelmina recognized that their, their identity as Brides of Christ did warrant a separation from the world. They weren't just social women living in community, like social workers living in community, but they um, they were supposed to be separated from the world uh, for a greater union with Christ. Um, so silence, uh, the common prayer, the habit, all these things protect that spousal union with Christ. Um, so it was a great grief for her to see these things being one by one set aside, especially the liturgy. So the Oblate Sisters of Providence uh, being a community for black sisters, we're starting to be influenced by these ideas of having a, a right for African-Americans. 
um, or right for Americans or something like that. And Suolino once wrote very bluntly, I see no need for an American right. I see no need for an African right. I see no need for an African-American right. We need the Roman Catholic right. And so once again, she was going back to her childhood experience that um, the church was for all, and it was a gift from God that all should receive in humility and docility. Uh, and it wasn't a, an area where we should uh, segregate or um, try to, to pander to different groups, uh, or to water down or to adapt to different groups. But everyone was called to the fullness of the truth of the Catholic faith. And it, it didn't need um, this dangerous experimentation. So she struggled uh, for several decades um, trying to keep the sisters aware of what they were losing. Uh, she worked very hard to try to establish a traditional branch of her order, um, but eventually she realized it would be easier to refound rather than to reform, and that's what led her to begin our community. There's a great uh, feistiness about her. Uh, one of the things that's recounted in the book is when the uh, sisters were going to modified habits at the Oblate Sisters of Providence, uh, Sister Wilhelmina insisted on making her own version of the traditional habit. C- could you talk about that, what she did with, a, I believe, a bleach bottle, <laughs> plastic from a bleach bottle? Yes. <laughs> yes. So there wasn't anyone to help her to make the different parts of the habit, and um, not having that much experience with the tailoring or sewing needs. Um, when she was trying to fabricate the wimple, she ended up cutting out the the curved uh, side of a bleach bottle and just fitting that in to cover the forehead. Um, if you look at a, a traditional wimple, you'll see that kind of straight piece going across the, the forehead. That was what the bleach bottle was, was subbing for. <laughs> and the sisters, they, they they criticized her and laughed at her, but she said, my name is Sister Wilhelmina. I have a hell of a will, and I mean it. <laughs> she was determined to stick to her principles. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story. So she had been an Oblate Sister of Providence for half a century, for 50 years, and then she felt this mm-hmm. calling to leave to establish something a little bit more along the lines of her experience of religious life growing up. Uh, could you talk about mm-hmm. what inspired her? to make that difficult decision to leave the Oblates and to found a new religious community? Uh, she realized that it was it would be easier to refound than to reform. Um, she realized that there was so much experimentation going on in the community and so much influence and even pressure from um, the culture, which was in great upheaval uh, during those decades, that it would it would be hard to convince any sisters to join her or to preserve the traditional observance of religious life. She had been the single voice for so long, so it was a great sacrifice for her to leave her religious family. She had, as you said, been there for over 50 years, um, and they were so much a part of her her own background, her culture growing up, and they were the ones who had formed her and taught her to be religious. So it was a great sacrifice and something that she struggled long with before actually um, following through on. But she realized that her her vocation to belong totally to Christ and to be faithful to what he wanted from her was more important than, say, the cultural ties, the familial ties, uh, anything else on a natural level that bound her to her original order. Uh, So she decided to um, join a couple of other sisters who were hoping to found a traditional community, and they went to Pennsylvania under the aegis of the Fraternity of St. Peter, 
uh, in the hopes that they could offer parish help as sacristans, as catechists, to the priests, and in return they would have the assurance of the traditional Latin mass and formation. She she began with just two other companions under the fraternity of St. Peter in 1995, and the priest who was helping them made her the superior, recognizing her uh, her venerable uh, years of experience and just her fidelity as a religious. What is the charism of the order? Could you talk about that? Yes, yeah, Sister Wilhelmina wanted us to be uh, she wanted us to be united to Our Lady in prayer and sacrifice for priests. She spoke about praying in that little church that the fraternity used in Pennsylvania and looking at one of the stained glass windows of the descent of the Holy Ghost at Pentecost. And it depicted Our Lady surrounded by the apostles praying. And she said, this is what I want for our community. We need to be perseverantes unanimiter, persevering with one heart with Our Lady. And so Our Lady, Queen of Apostles, spent that time after Pentecost on earth praying for the infant church and praying for the priests. So we're supposed to imitate Our Lady in that hidden life of prayer and sacrifice, praying for the modern-day apostles, the priests, and all the souls to whom they minister. And what's very beautiful is when our community was raised to the status of Abbey, we were speaking among ourselves, what should we pick for our motto? And we said, well, perseverantes unanimiter. And then we looked back at the old papers that Sister had preserved, and there was that story looking at the stained glass window saying, this is what I want my sisters to aspire to, the perseverantes unanimiter, persevering with one heart in prayer with Our Lady. Well, our guest today is Sister Mary Josepha Holcomb. She is a member of the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of Apostles, and a contributor to a new book on the life of Sister Mary Wilhelmina, the foundress of the Benedictines of Mary. We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation. I'm George Matisek. You're listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Brooks Robinson, the Hall of Fame third baseman for the Baltimore Orioles, whose unmatched field prowess and dedication to his adopted hometown endeared him to generations of Baltimoreans, died September 26th. He was 86. Robinson, a convert to Catholicism who often relied on his faith to see him through several major health challenges later in life, was known as a player who freely devoted hours to signing autographs. His generosity with fans was captured in a famous painting by Norman Rockwell that shows the player scribbling his signature on a ball for a grinning boy. Born in Little Rock, Arkansas, Robinson was raised in the Methodist Church. He converted to Catholicism several years later after his marriage to his wife Connie, who was Catholic. In a 2010 interview with the Catholic Review, Robinson remembered that with three sons and a daughter, he thought it was important for the entire family to attend church. Quote, when the kids got older, they were inquisitive and wanted to know how come Dad doesn't go to church with us, Robinson told the Catholic Review. It made a lot of sense to join the Catholic Church, end quote. He began studying the faith with Monsignor Martin A. Schwallenberg, Jr., the Orioles' chaplain, and was one of Robinson's tennis partners. He was received into the Catholic faith in the late 1960s at the Church of the Nativity in Timonium. Robinson, a parishioner of the Cathedral of Mary Our Queen in Homeland, was an 18-time All-Star and 16-time Gold Glove winner. He was named the 1964 American League MVP and the 1970 World Series MVP. 
The player was inducted into the Hall of Fame on the first ballot in 1983. Last year, in a national online ballot sponsored by the Catholic Athletes for Christ, Robinson was voted the all-time Catholic third baseman. For more on this and other stories, visit catholicreview.org. For Catholic Review Media, I'm Kevin Parks. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. We're talking about the life of Sister Mary Wilhelmina, the foundress of the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of Apostles. And our guest today is Sister Mary Josepha Holcomb, a contributor to a new book about the life of Sister Wilhelmina. The life of Sister Wilhelmina was really brought to the fore recently when her body was exhumed. Uh, Could you talk about what that experience was like and what the sisters discovered when they, they looked at her body? So we had we were in this process of completing our Abbey Church, and we were making a uh, side altar to St. Joseph, and we wished to put Sister Wilhelmina's relics in that side altar because it's customary for Benedictine houses to have the relics of their founder or foundress in the abbatial church. So the sisters exhumed the body. They dug up the graves themselves, and... Um, pulling the coffin out, we weren't quite sure what to expect after four years. Um, the body, of course, hadn't been embalmed, and um, the the soil in Missouri is very moist, and so we expected maybe bones. We weren't sure, uh, especially when we saw that the lid of the coffin had been cracked, and so dirt had fallen in, um, and a, more exposure to the elements that way. But when the coffin lid was removed, we were amazed to see her whole body intact, and this is perhaps even more remarkable to us who work so much with textiles. The entire habit was intact. Mm. So the uh, coffin had been lined with material just to make it more beautiful, but that had disintegrated in four years. You couldn't even tell that the wood of the coffin had been lined with fabric. But the the habit that Sister Wilhelmina had suffered so much for, it didn't have any sign of of where there weren't holes in it it wasn't eaten by bugs it hadn't decayed even though much of it was natural materials like wool and cotton Um, and even the synthetics were the same sort of material that had lined the coffin but that synthetic had completely disintegrated so it it was quite a a grace for our community to see that and we, we felt it was our lord showing us that precious in the his eyes is the death of his faithful ones and that he will uh, the fidelity that Sister Wilmina showed, he rewarded even after her death. And you've had thousands of people come to visit, is that right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it, we didn't uh, expect it, the word to get out, um, but it did, and we were amazed at the outpouring of faith, uh, people coming from miles to visit and to see the this um, phenomenon also. And I thought, it, again, it, we had ex- what we had experienced was a grace for our community, that assurance that the life, the hidden life, uh, the faithful life of the religious is rewarded by God. We felt like that was the grace for our community. But then there was a grace that God wanted to share with others, too. And I think it's the sign of hope. Um, even though we're in troubled times where much must be sacrificed, um, where we have to struggle to preserve our, our traditions, we have to fight for our faith. This was a sign of, of reassurance that it's worth it. God rewards that. And uh, we might not see the fruits in this life, but life doesn't end with death. It actually begins in the best sense, in eternal life. 
you were blessed to know Sister Wilhelmina. Uh, what what is the great lesson of her life that that you knew that you, that you learned from knowing her? Yes, yes, I was blessed to enter nine years before she died. So. Um, all my novitiate years and even in my early professed years, I was one of her weekly helpers. Uh, so I was very privileged to spend a lot of time one-on-one with Sister, to pray with her, uh, to read with her, just to help her to the various activities throughout the day. Um, and I I marveled, and I think that my, my other novitiate companions marveled, how she made everything a prayer. She always lived um, in an awareness of God's will, uh, that was the salient point of her reference point in her day. Um, what does God want me to do right now? I'd ask her, Sister Wilmina, do you want to go for a walk? Do you want to read a book? Do you want to pray the rosary? And she would just look at me, almost anxious. What does God want me to do right now? I want to do what God wants me to do. <laughs> and so it was, it was a good thing for us young religious to experience. that She wasn't living for herself. It was always very much, um, what does God want me to do right now? That is my point of union with him. Um, so that, her faith, uh, her devotion to God's will, uh, but especially her devotion to our Blessed Lady, uh, that is the spiritual testimony that she wanted to leave for all of us, to have a great filial confidence in Our Lady and to have recourse to her throughout the day with the joys and the sorrows, the ups and the downs. Um, she was always very attached to our Blessed Mother and um, had recourse to her at every moment. Well, our guest today has been Sister Mary Josepha, and she is one of the contributors to a new book that has been published by TAN, and it's called The Life of Sister Mary Wilhelmina. Sister Mary Josepha, thanks again for being here on Catholic Review Radio. Thank you, George, for hosting us. It's been a privilege. For Catholic Review Radio, I'm George Matisek. Thanks for listening. Remember the spirit of your parish community, the power of worshiping together, the warmth of friends new and old who share your faith. Join us for Mass this weekend. Visit archbelt.org to find a Catholic parish near you. Feel the joy. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us 
and keep us always in his love.